verse 10, Micah says to a Levite that he wants to come and be his household priest, live with me and be my father, meaning in my priest, and I'll give you ten shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So compare that to 1,100 shekels, and you say 1,100 is quite a, bit, quite a bit of money. So Micah has taken quite a bit from his own mother, and he had heard her utter a curse upon the thief when she discovered that the money was, uh, was missing. And, of course, at that point, when she uttered the curse, she didn't know who took it. She certainly didn't know that it was her son. So his mother, now hearing the confession of her son, pronounces a blessing on her son. I thought I heard a couple of chuckles when I read that. Um, I, I I don't think that's what my mother would have said. <laughs> I don't know, Barbara, what do you think? I, I don't think our mother would have said, blessing on you for taking my 1,100 shekels and then bringing it back. Yeah, it would have been in big trouble. He returns the money, and she consecrates the money to the Lord. To a point, that sounds great. But what happens next is uh, nothing short of bizarre. There is no real repentance on the part of Micah. And she doesn't seem to require it. And he doesn't give it. I mean, he does admit, but he doesn't say, I repent, please forgive me, I'll never do this again. And she doesn't seem to uh, be bothered by that. It's really bizarre. And I don't even know if there's a genuine case of reconciliation here. I, I can't. I can't tell. As we think about her parenting skills, a condemning and punishing parent hurts a child. But so does an excusing one who just has no expectations of behavior. So maybe her parenting is a partial explanation for what we find in the life of Micah. So the family appears orthodox from this point of view. They do not worship Dagon. They do not worship other gods. They worship the Lord, at least in name. So they appear to be orthodox. But then the rest of it is absolutely crazy. It's bizarre. She wants her son to make an idol and put it in his house. And we look at what he already had. In verse 5, an ephod and some household gods. He, he already had them. And apparently, he is an adult parent himself. He has a son. And he installs his son as priest in the house. And his son's not even a Levite. So I think what we're finding here, and the reason we're finding these stories, if you wonder why it's here, is God is simply saying, here, here are the depths to which my people have, have gone. This is a sadness indeed that Israel is in, in this position. So the idea here is that they will worship God with an idol or an image. And that's forbidden. We, we all know that. We've read enough of the scripture to know that's forbidden. And, and there is no image that can capture who God really is. God forbids it. Now let me give you an example of that. Suppose you want to talk about, you want to build an idol that expresses God's justice and God's mercy. 
What are you going to do with that? What kind of image, what kind of idol can you make that expresses God's justice and God's mercy? So God says in the Pentateuch, don't do it. No images, no idols, don't do it. But they appear to either not know that or not care. So what it appears here is there is an effort to create God the way they want him to be. And of course, nobody in the 21st century would do that. Create God the way you want him to be, not the way he really is. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, I don't believe in a God like that. Perhaps the conversation is uh, justice and, and God's view of sin. And someone would say, oh, I don't, I don't believe in a God like that. I don't believe in a God of justice. Now, a God of, of love who just overlooks whatever we do, um, that sounds cool. You know, I like that kind of God. That's what we're seeing here. They're creating God the way they want him to be. And they reject the scriptural revelation of God and who he is. And that's what the idol building does. You know, we can fit our cultural sensibilities and create God the way we want him to be, but that's not the God of the scripture. We don't mind ignoring aspects of God that we don't like, like his holiness. And what we find in that is a totally subjective faith. And I would submit to you that's really where we're headed and what we have to a large degree in our own culture is a totally subjective faith instead of an objective faith. That's 2020. People worship a comfortable image of God that really doesn't even exist. And that's part of the issue that we face today in our culture. Have you ever heard of homemade ice cream? Oh, yeah, I like that. By the way, put that on the list for some Wednesday, maybe in July, okay? You've heard of homemade ice cream. This is homemade religion. And that, sadly, was Israel of that day. It, it's so homemade that Micah is going to pay his own, is going to have his own son be a priest. He's not a Levite. So anybody want to hire me out to be the pastor of your house? You know, if you offer enough, I might consider it. I mean, that's basically what, that's basically what we have here. And that's, and that's sad. The people are far from God and they need a king. I mean, the implication is several times in this text, we're going to see it again. They need a king, but what kind of king do they need? And who would he be? More to come. So let's look at verses 7 through 13, and and what we will discover here is a manipulative religion. Verse 7. Now, Micah has just installed his son as priest. But somebody better is going to come along. So, uh, boy, you're out the door. You know, I got somebody else. Well, here's what happened. A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, we know that place, who had been living within the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. 
you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to camp out there forever. But is he leaving because God said leave, or is he just leaving? Would it certainly appear to be the latter. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah, Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, live with me and be my father and priest. Now, the word father doesn't mean, it it just means one of spiritual authority. Live with me and be my father and priest, and I'll give you ten shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. Well, that beats all I've ever heard. So Micah is going to hire Levi. I guess that's a step up. I mean, it had been his own son who wasn't a Levite, so now he's going for the real thing. So the Levite agrees to live with him. And the young man became like one of his sons to him. Then Micah installed the Levite. Okay, we're going to go all out on this thing. We're going to have an ordination service. Like Micah has no authority to do that, but he's going to do it anyway. So he installs the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. Aha, there we have the real reason. It's almost superstitious in nature. I have a real Levite living in my house. I'm going to make him my priest. That obligates God to be good to me. You ever heard anybody talk like that? Oh, boy. You know, I remember the fellow who said, God and I have an understanding. And I'm thinking, I can't wait to hear this. And and basically what he said then was, I won't bother him if he won't bother me. I mean, that was basically the bottom line. So here we are. He's got his own priest. And he believes it obligates God to be good to Micah. Now, when you don't seek God, when you ignore Scripture, but then you seek to have a a form of religion, pseudo-religion, it's the sign of a society far from God. And Micah is representative of a society that's far from God. And we're going to see more in a minute. The Levite was supposed to be serving his people. Why in the world did he leave Bethlehem? I, I, I don't know. Maybe he was a lousy priest and the Bethlehem parish kicked him out. I I don't, there's no evidence of that. I I just think he's got sin in his heart and he's wandering. So he left and abandoned his place to seek another without guidance from God. He came to Micah's house. Micah sees an opportunity to make his homemade do-it-yourself shrine a bit more impressive by having a real live priest in the house. So he says, come here. I'll pay you a little bit, I'll clothe you and feed you, and you can be my private priest and a a Levite at that. But that Levite priest is supposed to follow Mosaic law and worship God according to Scripture, not according to man's whims. So this whole thing is messed up. So Micah installs him in a private ordination, and we see the real reason he did it. I'll obligate God to bless me. Kind of like uh, giving money to the church in hopes that that will obligate God to do something to your life. Instead of giving because you love the Lord and you want to spread the gospel, you want to be obedient 
to the word in stewardship. You give in hopes that it will obligate God to be a blessing to you. Well, I have my own private priest, and that is called manipulation and how foolish it is. So why is this story here? To point out the truth of verse 6, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they see fit. And I would submit to you that in many ways, that's the kind of world we live in today. Now, let's talk about a disobedient tribe with 18.1. Look at verse 18, verse 1 of chapter 18. Here we go again. In those days, Israel had no king. It's a reminder. That must be important because the writer of Judges keeps saying it. It is important. That is why he keeps saying it. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites or the tribe of Dan was seeking a place of their own where they might settle because they had not yet come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites sent five of their leading men from Zorah and Eshtal to spy out the land and explore it. And these men represented all the Danites and they told them, go and explore the land. So they entered the hill country of Ephraim, and guess whose house they came to? Micah's house, where they spent the night. And look at what happens in verse 3. When they were near Micah's house, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. Must have known him. So they turned in there and asked him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? Why are you here? And the Levite gives them an answer. We won't have time. If we're going to finish, we don't have time to read every verse. So listen to this story. The tribe of Dan has been disobedient to God. They have not run the Canaanites out of their tribal allotment that God himself gave them and said to them, get rid of all the ites Get rid of the Canaanites in your territory or they will lead you astray. Get rid of them and I'll bless you. Dan did not do that. They did not do that. Were the Canaanites formidable? Of course they were. But God said, get rid of them. That means, that doesn't just imply, that means God's going to give you the strength and the power to do what he's told you to do. The same today as it was then. When God says do something, he's going to give us what we need to do it. So he says to the tribe of Dan, take care of this, and they don't do it. So after a while, the tribe of Dan gets kind of tired of it. They're getting oppressed by the Canaanites. They don't really run the land. They feel like they're not really at home yet. So instead of saying, staying in the land that God himself had said, this is your land, they're going to move. They're just going to go and find another place to stay. This is, this is incredible. So they send five men out as spies. We've heard spy stories before in, in the scripture. They came to Ephraim, made their way to Micah's house. They didn't know Micah, but I just think evil has a way of finding evil. You notice that? So they know, they end up at Micah's house and how appropriate. Now, they, they met the priest. Evidently, they already knew him. And they inquire of him to ask God about the success of their mission. Now, I can understand asking Billy Graham, what do you think God's going to do? But asking this guy, God going to bless? Oh, yeah, man, God's going to bless. Just go for it. Get your army and go for it. 
Go in peace. You're going to win. God is blessing you. Uh, so away they go. They just take him at his word. Let's go, guys. They return home, say to the Danites, let's go attack. It's a good land. The people will be caught off guard. They aren't expecting us to do this. It's a rich land, so let's go do it. Now, do you see a problem here? God said to all the tribes of Israel, run the Canaanites out of your land. Did God ever say, run your fellow Jews out of the land? No, he didn't, but that's what they're about to do. It's incredible. So they're going to go now, and they're going to wage war on their fellow Jews so they can take part of the land. So the story grows more bizarre by the moment. And I think bizarreness, I'm not sure that's a word, but I think bizarreness just goes from a distance from God, not being obedient to Him and not even knowing Him. So they go, uh, they're going to do it. They fail to drive out the Canaanites, so now they're going to drive out their own brothers. 600 men go out. They came to Micah's. That's, this is the rest of the chapter, so read it. But here's a synopsis. They came to Micah's house. Again, this time the 600 men break into the house and take his shrine, his ephod, and his silver. Then the young Levite confronts them and says, what are you doing? And they said to him, switch sides. Become one of us. Serve a clan instead of one family. And the young Levite was loyal and said, no. No, no. the young Levite said, that's cool, I'll do it. So he leaves Micah and joins up with the Danites. That's a real loyal dude. Then the men... Near Micah, now the Danites go off, they're getting ready for war, and the men who love Micah and know him gather their little crew together, not much of a crew, but a little crew, and they chase the Danites. The Danites turn around and see them coming, and they flex their muscles, so to speak. I mean, not really, but the Danites kind of buck up and say, what do you think you're doing? And Micah's followers say, well, you you can't do this. You took all our stuff, and you took our priests. And the Danites, in effect, said, what are you going to do about it? And there are a lot of Danites, and there are just a few of Micah's followers. And so they said nothing, and they went home. So the Danites went on and conquered a new area for themselves. And there's a little more detail in the text. And they burned the cities and, and began to rebuild them, and they gave the area a new name. Very clever name, Dan. This is now Dan. So they set up the idol taken from Micah's house and they set the idol up at Shiloh. Now, if you're an Old Testament, if you read your Old Testament, that should be ringing all kinds of bells. Shiloh, 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 idols. Absolutely. Years later at Shiloh, we read the scripture, we find that to be the center of idol worship in Israel. Shouldn't be a surprise after this. And that's an abomination to God. You go to the location of Shiloh today, and it is a, it's a must-see site if you go to the Holy Land. You will find there the ruins, the remains of the pagan temple that the people built to worship their idols. Right here. 
this very place. And uh, that worship shrine was very offensive to God. So they need a king. What kind of king do they need? They need to return to God. How far can people go when their hearts go astray? Evidently pretty far. We're about to find out just how far when we come to chapters 19, 20, and 21. So if you think chapters 17 and 18 are a bit offensive, hold on to your chair. You haven't seen anything yet. Chapters 19, 20, and 21 are unbelievable. So let's begin a little bit by starting with the first verse of chapter 19. It says, I bet you can, I bet you can know, you know what it says without even looking. What does it say? Had no king. In those days, Israel had no king. And so when they have no king, they're doing whatever they think is right in their own eyes. Chapters 19, 20, and 21 are filled with violence. And the book closes with a desperate note. Look ahead to the last verse of Judges. Guess what it says? In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Wow. So we're introduced in chapter 19 to a Levite. That's a priest. That's a holy man. That's a preacher. We're introduced to a Levite who has a concubine. Not great. Man of God with a concubine. Um, to him, she is a second class wife who is a sex object to the Levite. That's really what she is. And what he does to her defies belief. This is a priest. This is a man of God in title, not in reality. Now, a Levite who lived in a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim, verse 1, took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah, but she was unfaithful to him. Well, that shouldn't be a surprise. That's what concubines do. She left him and went back to her parents' home in Bethlehem of Judah. After she had been there four months, her husband went to her, to persuade her to return. And he had with him his servant and two donkeys, and she took him into her parents' home, and when her father saw him, he welcomed him gladly. Kind of crazy, isn't it? She leaves him and goes home. After four months, the Levite goes after her to the delight of her father. He's ready to give her back. They, they have a five-day visit. If you continue to read the text, they, he stays five days. Didn't intend to stay that long, but her father really persuades him, keep staying, you know, we're loving having you here. Stay, stay, stay. Finally, he took her and he left to go home, back to his home. And the dark picture is about to get much darker. This Levite sees this concubine not as a person, but as an object to own. And, and, and today in sex trafficking, that, that's exactly what you see, that women become, for these evil men, objects to be owned, not as real live women, but as objects to be owned. So they go to Jebus, J-B-U-S, 
better known to us today as Jerusalem. But the Levite and his concubine and his servant are not going to stay the night in Jerusalem because at this point, that's still a Canaanite city. And this Levite doesn't feel comfortable or safe staying in a Canaanite city even though the Canaanites are pretty much running the show around there. So he wants to go to an Israelite town, so they go and they stop at Gibeah, which is an Israelite town. Now, you remember Old Testament hospitality? Visitors go to the town square, and they don't have to stay there long. Middle Eastern hospitality says someone will come and invite you to spend the night with them. Isn't that something? Can you imagine going downtown Belton and watching for somebody wandering around and saying, come on, spend the night at my house? That might be a nice thing to do, but I think it's probably not going to happen, okay? But that's what you expect, Middle Eastern hospitality. So they went to the city square, and there they waited, and nothing happened. Nobody even spoke to them. Something's not right here. What is wrong with this place? Nobody is even talking to the Levite and his servant and his concubine. Finally, the sun is setting and a man comes, introduces himself, and he's not even from there originally, but he's going to take him home to stay with him in another part of town. But something is wrong. You can almost sense it. And if you've read the text, you know what's wrong. The Levite finds that he has chosen to spend the night in the second coming of Sodom. Remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, sunset comes, and may I remind you, these are Jews, God's people, who live in Gibeah. And there's a knock on the door, and there are a bunch of men outside, and they say, send the Levite out to us that we might have sex with him. Told you it was getting darker, not just because the sun is set, but I mean spiritually darker. They try to get the Levite to come out for homosexual sex. The host refuses based on the obligation that a host has to protect his guest, not because he necessarily sees anything wrong with what they're going to do out there, but, you know, I, hey, I've got a guest here, and Middle Eastern hospitality says, I protect my guest at all costs. And why do we think he feels that way? Because finally the host refuses to send the Levite out, but he, off- now this, this just make you sick, he offers his own daughter and the Levite's concubine and says, take these girls instead, but leave my newfound friend alone. The men refuse. They want a male. They don't want the concubine. They don't want, they don't want this guy's daughter. They want the Levite. Do you really think you can take any more next week? Well, we're going to finish next week. So I'm going to tell you next week what happens. Read ahead if, if you, if you will. So what, what's going to happen? They don't want the daughter. They don't want the concubine. So what is going to happen to get these men to leave them alone? You know, the story is going to get awful from here. I mean, it's awful already, but it's going to get much worse. And I read this, I think, God, why would you put this in your book? 
God is wanting us to be absolutely certain that we know the consequences of turning our backs on Him. That's what the story's all about. So we'll finish Judges next week, and then the week after that, we'll start with a Christmas story. How about that? All right. Whoa, I can't wait. Okay. Thank you for being so attentive. I love, I love sharing with you. Father, bless us now as we go from this place. Father, if there is, if there's a spiritual truth we want to latch on to as we leave today, it is to keep our eyes on you, that we not wander off, that we not stray, that we not go in an opposite direction of what you want for us, that we not ignore your word and, and live contrary to your word, but that we, we live faithful lives as men and women who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. So bless us now in Christ's name I pray, amen. See you next time.